This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. The episode we're going to listen to was first broadcast in 1949, and it's entitled Money Problems. That they didn't have, and that was due to their agent, A.B. Greshler, who negotiated for them one of Hollywood's best deals. Now, although they received only a modest $75,000 between them for their films with Al Wallace, Martin and Lewis were free to do one outside film a year, which they would co-produce with their own production company. They were also in complete control of their club, records, radio, and television appearances. And it was through these endeavors that Martin and Lewis earned millions of dollars. So money problems they didn't have. But Dean did have a problem. He suffered from claustrophobia. When they moved from New York City to California, he was thrilled. He had developed a lifelong discomfort because of tall buildings, avoiding those elevators, and, and having to climb multiple flights of stairs in Manhattan skyscrapers was not his idea of fun. And even when Martin's success allowed him to lease an apartment in a Manhattan high-rise, he chose one on the third floor. He liked the fact that California, because of its earthquakes, had few tall buildings. So, let's go back to 1949 and enjoy Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from Hollywood, the Martin and Lewis Show, featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Here in Hollywood, when the first of the month rolls around, you'll find a lot of actors frantic about their bills, but not Dean and Jerry. They're frantic the rest of the month, too. As we join them in their apartment, Dean's trying to figure out where the money goes. You don't got it, then it's true. Awful, awful, awful what no money can do. Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Here I am, Dean. I was in a bathroom cutting my chin. <laughs> cutting your chin? Yeah, a little bit each day. And some morning I'll walk out of there and you'll say, well, if it isn't Cary Grant. <laughs> Jerry, now, please, no jokes. I'm really worried about something. I've been going over our bank accounts, and our deposits are way down. As a matter of fact, the bank called about our balance. Yeah? Well, don't let them scare you. We put in last month, let them put in this month. <laughs> Jerry, you know it doesn't work that way. We've been making good money, but we're spending it too fast. You've been playing the horses quite a bit. What else have you been doing with your money? Well, I bought an electric train to play with in my bedroom, but I got rid of it. Why? 
All night long, little people kept coming in for reservations. <laughs> well, Jerry, we've got to figure out a way to hang on to the money that we have left. Don't bother me about money. Money means nothing to me. Even if I don't have a penny to my name, I'm happy. I'm sorry I interrupted, but I just wondered which of us dropped that nickel on the floor over there. Find his keepers, Dean. Someone at the door, Jerry. Yeah, look, whoever it is, let's not tell him we were fighting over a nickel. Yeah, that would make us look too cheap. Come in. It's hard to tell through a keyhole, but I think your nickel rolled under the radiator. <laughs> Soapy, what are you doing? Listening to keyholes again? Now, wait, my boy. I am not a keyhole listener. I am a peephole peeker through it. <laughs> Hey, look, I overheard you talking, and just as I have long suspected, you fellas are very careless with your money, and what you need is good, solid investments. Now, I have got an idea that should make you independently poor. I, uh, <laughs> I mean rich. Please, Sophie, we don't want to get into any money deals with you. Now, look, look, if you guys want to invest your money wisely, I have got numerous ideas that I have been working on. Give me a for instance. Well, I have got a half interest in a dress factory that manufactures frontless evening gowns. <laughs> frontless evening gowns? Uh-huh, yeah. They are for the women who only look good from the back. <laughs> and if you don't like that, I got another angle. Now, right now, I am buying a saloon. Gradually. One drink at a time. <laughs> You shouldn't drink on a job. Well, I know that, but I am not on the job. Well, why not? Because I'm drinking. <laughs> now, if you ain't interested in getting into the beverage business, I have got something else. I happen to have beverage business. <laughs> yes, besides that, what I have got is an insurance company. An insurance company? Yeah, sure. You have uh, no doubt heard of Lloyd's of London. Oh, yeah. Well, they insure people against my company. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's no use, Sophie. We can't take a chance. Especially with you. You always try to swindle me, and, and, and you really shouldn't do that to a man who has a wife and five kids to support. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. You have a wife and five kids? Not yet, but yesterday a blonde winked at me. <laughs> Listen, fellas, I really got your interest at heart, and I have one more bona fide proposition. How would you like to buy a professional football team? Huh? Well, that's not too bad. A, a pro team? Yeah. You like athletes? Oh, sure. I admire athletes, especially girl swimmers. <laughs> I used to watch them swim every evening when I lived at the YWCA. <laughs> Jerry, how did you get into the YWCA? I lied about my age. <laughs> You know, a lot of the stars have got teams. Now, Hope, for instance, he owns part of the Cleveland Indians. And this Crosby, he's got the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Don Amici, he invested in the Los Angeles Dons. Gee, I don't know, Sophie. Is the team you want to sell us any good? Good, he says. <laughs> good. Why, we got guys like, like this Killer Thomas. We got Strangler Lutz. We got Butcher Maroney. I got the whole team, except just two guys. Uh, where are they? They ain't been paroled yet. <laughs> on a football team who steal and go around picking pockets? Well, you don't have to pay him much salary. Between halves, you, you just turn them loose in the stands. 
Well, how much money will we have to put into it, so? I'll tell you what I'll do. Just for you, I will cut the price to uh, $5,000. Well, you know what they always say, a fool and his money are soon part. Yeah, but this is taking longer than usual. <laughs> well, what do you say, Dean? Shall we buy the team? Well, we don't have $5,000. Don't worry, I'll get it. I'll ask my mother for it. She got it? No. <laughs> then what's the good of asking her? Well, she'd ask Uncle Louie, and Uncle Louie will ask <clears throat> Cousin Sarah, and Cousin Sarah will ask Aunt Minnie, and Aunt Minnie will ask Uncle Herbie, and Uncle Herbie will ask my brother-in-law, Sam. Oh, Sam got it? No, but haven't I got a big family? <laughs> well, how about it? You're going to be able to get the money? Hey, how about borrowing it from a finance company? Gee, I don't know. Borrowing money's a bad habit to get into. What are you talking about, bad habit? Just look at the Marshall Plan. Why, the government loans money to other countries so they can buy things from us. And when they buy the things from us, it, it keeps our factories going. When the factories are going and the, the people are working and they're making money to, to buy food and clothing and the whole nation is prosperous. Dean, he's right. It's our patriotic duty to borrow the money and save the United States. <laughs> okay, we'll do it. Let's go. Wait a minute, Dean. First thing is wrong. I want to hear your sweet voice just once more before we go into debt. <laughs> She's sweet, see you coming down the street. Now I ask you very confidentially, ain't she sweet? Ain't she nice? Look her over once or twice. Now I ask you very confidentially, mm, ain't she nice? Just cast an eye in her direction. Oh, me, oh, my, ain't that perfection? Well, I kind of repeat, don't you think that's kind of neat? And ask you very confidentially, ain't she sweet? Cast an eye in her direction. Oh, me, oh, my, ain't that perfection? But I repeat, don't you think she's so kind of neat? And I ask you very confidentially, ain't she sweet? This is a fine neighborhood for the finance company to be in. This is the toughest neighborhood I've ever seen. Don't say it is. Hey, Dean, Dean, look at that cat. Cauliflower ears. <laughs> yeah, probably wrestles a lot. Well, you sure Phil McGee and Molly started like this? <laughs> Well, what do you say, Jerry? Let's get this over with. Let's go into the finance company and uh, 
See if we can buy the money. Oh, we'll be able to buy the money, all right. I got a joke to get the man in a good humor. He'll love it. It's a Bob Hope joke about a finance company. Come on, let's go in. Good morning, gentlemen. What can I do for you? Well, we're Dean Martin and... Uh... I'm Jerry Lewis. Say, I got a swell joke about a finance company. You see, a guy comes in to buy some money, and a finance company guy says, sure, he'll lend him the money. And a guy said, it doesn't matter when I pay it back, does it? And a finance company man says, no. Just as soon as you pay it back, we let your mother out of the dungeon. <laughs> let your mother out of the dungeon. Isn't that a funny joke, mister? That reminds me, we've simply got to do something about Bob Hope's mother. <laughs> Now, what can we do for you, gentlemen? Well, we're buying a football team and we'd like to borrow some money. Well, if you want money, you have to put up some kind of security. Now, about this football team you have. Oh, it's a great team, mister. They haven't lost a game this season. Of course, next Saturday, they're playing Sophie Tucker. (laughs) (laughs) Playing Sophie Tucker. (laughs) This is the toughest finance company I've ever played. Gentlemen, we'll lend you the money. Oh, that's wonderful. But on one condition only. Oh, no, you don't. You can't have my mother. You just can't have my mother. She's done too much for me. She's been so good to me. No, no, no. You can't have my mother. (laughs) You can have that if you like. He's an old bear. (laughs) Have you quite finished? (laughs) Now, we don't want anything of the kind for security, but we have to find out just how safe an investment this is. Now, did either of you ever play football? Oh, sure. Northwestern, Minnesota, Notre Dame, and Vassar. Vassar is a girls' college. How could you have played on their team? Oh, I don't know. Just lucky, I guess. (laughs) And you, young man, how about you? Any football experience? Well, I I come from a football family. I've even got a rich grandfather who plays football. A grandfather playing football? Yeah, the whole family can hardly wait for him to kick off. I tell you what, gentlemen, I'm a great sports lover myself, so I'll take a chance. I'll loan you the money for the team. Gee, that's swell. Providing providing you play on the team yourself. Oh, I think that would be very nice. Are you for real? <laughs> Look, gentlemen, we've decided to loan you the money. You're Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, and you have name value. That's my proposition. You've got to play on the team if you want to get the loan. Well, I guess we have to do it. Okay, let's sign the papers. Would you like us to sign in blood? Sign in blood? I won't do it. It clogs my pen. <laughs> oh, come on, Jerry. Let's go. Let's be sure when that day. You know, maybe this isn't such a bad idea at all, us playing football. I used to play on the Steubenville High School 9. Look, what'd you do back in high school? High school? What's that? Well, I'll try again. What did you play back in grammar school? Grammar school? What's that? I'll try once more. What did you play in kindergarten? Kissing game. <laughs> That's why I got kicked out. I kissed the teacher. You got kicked out for kissing the teacher? Yeah. I'll never forget Mr. Schwartz. <laughs> well, whether you like it or not, you're going to play football with our team. And we're going right into the gymnasium here and get you into shape. What can I do for you? <laughs> Why, it's Deanie Boy. I've seen this Betsy Bell ringer from your hometown. 
But why did you take a job in this gymnasium, Bessie? Oh, the job isn't important, Deanie. I just want to be around so I can see you now and then. Well, Bessie, what's the use? You're a nice kid. But you're not Dean's type of girl. Well, there's no difference. All women are sisters under the skin. And why don't you get back under the skin and send your sister out? <laughs> Let's go on into the gymnasium. If we're going to play football, we better get into shape. Yeah, we better get ready to win a first game without a libel or cancel alone. Oh, you poor boys. Are you having trouble with money? No, we're having trouble without it. <laughs> oh, Jeannie, I wouldn't want you to be broke. Here, my life savings. Oh, thanks a lot, Bessie. But uh, we can't take your money. I'd feel like a cad. Dean, let me take it. I'll cad for a while. <laughs> Absolutely not <laughs> Bessie, I won't forget this Come on, Jerry Okay, Jerry Now, the first thing you do in a gymnasium is Take off your clothes Very well, I shall take off my clothes Jerry, stop throwing bumps. You'll hit somebody. <laughs> now, let's see if we can build you up. You know, football's a tough sport. You won't believe it, Dean, but I used to be a little skinny weakling. Then one night, I met Charles Atlas at the Palladium. What happened? We danced. <laughs> Come on, Jerry, no more jokes. If you're not in shape to play football, we'll be dead ducks. Come on. Now, here. Here's a medicine ball. A medicine ball? What's in it? Aspirin? <laughs> oh, now, you throw the ball against my stomach, then I'll throw the ball against your stomach. Okay? You throw the medicine ball against my stomach, and I throw it against your stomach. That's a good idea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> Now let's try it with the ball Ah, uh, Jerry, I don't know what I'm going to do with you You're such a hopeless physical specimen Let's try one thing Something that'll build you up I got it, give me a pack of camels Camels? Sure, every athlete smokes them I could be an All-American All you need is camels and Wheaties of course, I've never smoked Wheaties, but... Oh, <laughs> now, Jeff, here, just skip rope. It'll help you win. What are you going to do? I'm going to give my tonsils a workout. Ladies and gentlemen, Dean Martin will now show his strength by lifting Bing Crosby's voice. Sing, <laughs> Younger than springtime Are you softer than starlight? Are you warmer than winds of June? Are the gentle lips you gave me? Gave than laughter 
Sophie's idea. He said it was a way to protect our money. It's too late to back out anyway. Here, get into your football uniform. Jerry, what kind of football jerseys are these? Aren't they pretty? I picked the colors. Red jerseys with a yellow streak down the back. <laughs> yellow streak down the back? Sure. It'll make the other team overconfident. <laughs> Jerry, do you realize if we lose this game, we won't get any customers? Then we won't be able to pay the loan back. Oh, we won't lose, Dean. Lose if you want to be healthy, chum. Who are you? The syndicate sent me over. We're betting $10,000 that you'll lose. How do you know we're going to lose? <laughs> we're fixing you. I don't need fixing. I'm not broken. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I tell jokes. I kill people. So do I. <laughs> Tell me, what happens if we win? I won't say exactly, but how would you boys like to end up in a block of cement? Oh, isn't that wonderful, Dean? This must be Sid Grammer, the Chinese city. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We put your footprints in cement. Only you can't see him because the cement around your neck keeps you from bending over. Look, mister, I don't want to get nasty, but there's an old saying that covers this. What's the old saying? How should I know? I'm very young. <laughs> You're just full of bright sayings, ain't you? Oh, sure. I make them up in my own head. That's right, and you wouldn't think there was room in there. <laughs> room in my head. Isn't that silly? <laughs> What's that? Hey, how did I get inside my head? Let me out, let me out. I tell you, you better let me out or I'll kick my face down. <laughs> Gee, it's 
talk in my head. If I only had a light, I could read my mind. <laughs> There's not much room to walk around. Gee, there's sure a draft coming in my ears. <laughs> oh, oh, I see a little bit of light. That must be where I cut myself shaving. <laughs> oh, gosh, there's David Garner and Betty Grable. If my mind is working right, they'll be on their way to the showers. Very. <laughs> no need to call me, Dean. I'm not coming out of my head. Jerry, stop acting silly. You're not in your head. Then why is it so dark? Very logical reason. You've got your head in your pocket. <laughs> oh, how insanely stupid of me. Look, boys. Boys, the rest of the team's coming in, so I'm scramming, see? Now remember, lose the game or else. Dean, why did we ever start with this professional team? We don't dare win and we don't dare lose. We're in a dilemma. What's worse, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Don't say anything more. Here comes the team. I'm going to give them a fight talk so we can go out and beat the Redondo Ripper. All right, hold it down there. Quiet, quiet. Hold this down. Hold this down there. Now, fellas. Alex, you got to win this game. I want to see you get out there and give them the old one, two. And watch out when they come back with the new three, four. <laughs> I don't want anybody to know. Oh, Jerry, stop. Will you? Even though no, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Come on, stop and give them a real good pep talk. If they show my wife and kids out in the street. <laughs> it's not because you lost the game. It's because I'm not married. <laughs> remember, some fellas fight for their dear old Elma Mater. Some fellas fight for their girls. <laughs> you fellas are fighting for something that's nearer and dearer. Money. <laughs> that's the spirit. Now, come on, Jerry. Look, Jerry. There comes Soapy up the ramp. Hey, Fuller, hey, Fuller. Soapy, you sure got us in the gym. We got to win to get our money, and if we lose, there's a guy who wants to cement relations with us. <laughs> Well, never mind him. You gotta win. I went out and I sold each of your players to a different sponsor. <laughs> a different sponsor for every player, but yeah. Soapy, the Redondo Rippers are tough. How are we gonna stop them? Well, I took care of that. I went to their locker room and I sprinkled a little repartee perfume all over the other team. See? What'll the perfume do? Well, when you tackle them, they smell so nice, you won't want to let go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Jerry. Let's get out onto the field. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Martin and Lewis Mongrels are all lined up now for the kickoff. We're just about ready to go. There goes the kickoff. It's a beautiful kick. A long, high spiral. The ball is just lit up and a neon sign on it reads, Don't be a schmo, see Tokyo Joe. <laughs> the ball is now received by Jerry Lewis. He's breaking through. And we have a man running alongside Lewis with a microphone. We're going to take you right down there on the field. Okay. Take it, Sam. Thanks, Harv. I'm jogging down the field alongside this great halfback, Lewis. He's making one of the most sensational runs of the year. Pardon me, Lewis. To what do you owe your success as a runner? Oh, I owe it all to Mother Schoenfeld's meatballs. <laughs> Pardon me while I stiff on this file. 
What a runner this Lewis is. We're up to the 10-yard line. In a second, the score will be... Uh, wait a minute. Lewis has fallen down just two yards short of the goal. Yeah? How come you fell down? <laughs> Man, somebody in the stands hit me with a Mammy Schoenfeld meatball. <laughs> friends, this has been some game. There's just 20 seconds left to play. The score is 7-6 to six in favor of the Redondo Rippers. But this is the Mongrels' big chance. They have the ball in the one-half-inch line. Jerry, there's just 10 seconds to play. We better score. But, Dean, if we win, that gangster will kill us, and I'm scared. I haven't had any experience being dead. Uh, hey, you guys, we've got a half-inch to go now. Now, Lewis, you took two cracks at the line. How come you can't go half an inch? Well, you see, I haven't been too well. <laughs> going on here? There's the pass from center. It's to Lewis. He's not moving, though. He turns. He smiles at the television camera. <laughs> Milton Burrow steps in front of him. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Lewis's team has picked him up on their shoulders, and they're carrying him across the goal line. There's the gun. There's the gun. There's the gun. You played a great game. You don't have to worry about the loan now. Ah, it was nothing at all. It was like taking candy from a baby. What are those guys? Let me see those guys. Here comes baby for his candy. <laughs> now, look, mister, don't wave that gun around. Shut up. You just lost $10,000 for us. I'm going to put a hole in you for every dollar. I'll be right back, Dean. Jerry, where are you going? Out to get 10,000 corks. <laughs> oh, no, you're not... You're going for a ride. But it's such a nice day. Let's walk. <laughs> all the sponsors paid off, kids. Here is your 10,000 bucks. Oh, darn it. I never get a chance to shoot anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, Soapy, we're giving up this football team. We're going into another business. Yeah, we got a tip on where to buy a carload of ice. Ice? What can you do with a carload of ice? Melt it up. It makes well water. <laughs> Good night, folks. See you later, everybody. The Martin Lewis Show, transcribed in Hollywood, is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Charlie Isaacs and Jack Douglas. Music is arranged and conducted by Dick Stabile. Martin Lewis currently may be seen in the Hal Wallace picture, My Friend Irma. This is Ben Alexander saying goodnight for the Martin and Lewis Show. Stay tuned for the Screen Guild Theater next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. 
A very classy bit of radio drama on the way now, the Screen Guild Theater featuring Rosalind Russell, Cary Grant, and Edward Everett Horton. And Take a Letter, Darling, first aired in 1942. presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, Take a Letter, Darling, the starring players. This is Rosalind Russell. This is Cary Grant. This is Edward Everett Horton. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Take a Letter, Darling. All of the stars on these programs donate their services and the money paid for the sponsor for these programs goes directly to the Motion Picture Relief Fund for the maintenance of their country house, caring for the members of the picture industry who are no longer able to provide for themselves. Our Screen Guild players present that fast-moving comedy of office romance, Take a Letter, Darling, starring Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell, and Edward Everett Horton. Our play opens in the reception room of Atwater and McGregor, nationally known specialists in advertising campaigns. As the curtain rises, Tom Burney is applying for a job. Good morning. Oh, good morning. I, uh, I have a letter of introduction to A.M. McGregor. Is it about a job? Yeah, the name is Tom Burney. And the letter's from Bill Dooley. Well, looking at you, I'll say you'll get the job. Chum. Huh? <laughs> Just a second. McGregor's office. Mr. Tom Verney to see you. He has a letter of introduction from Mr. Dooley. How does he look? Do you want my opinion as an employee or um, as a female? Is there a difference? Oh, definitely. As an employee, I'd say, uh, uh-uh. But as a female... <laughs> Well, run him in. I'll take a look at him for myself. McGregor will see you right away. Thanks. Where's the office? Right down the hall. You'll see the name on the door. Come in. Uh, Mr. Verney to see Mr. McGregor. I know. Give me the letter. Uh, huh? I said give me the letter, Barney. Verney. Oh, sorry. My letter's for McGregor, personally. I'm McGregor, personally. Uh, huh? Now, give me the letter and sit down. Yes, sir. What was that? Uh, I mean, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Go ahead, Barney. No, no, no. Bernie. Well, whatever it is, sit down while I read this. Well, Dooley didn't tell me McGregor was a lady. Is a lady. Oh. <laughs> oh, did you write this letter? No, no. I heard Dooley dictated, though. We went to school together. Oh, then you know that you're a very clever lad. And that I should be able to find a place for you here. Well, course, I told him to leave the very out. Oh. Just clever. Yeah, that's just what I told Dooley. For the third time, sit down. Ouch. 
Now, have you ever been in advertising before? No. What have you done? Well, uh, nothing. Oh, that's quite a career. Uh, look, don't be silly. I had an income. Oh, and now your piggy bank is empty, eh? Yeah, well, you know what taxes do to a piggy bank. College graduate? Yes. Do you want to be in advertising? Well, uh, no. That's a great start. What would you like to do? Well, I guess I'm childish, but uh, that's my secret. Stand up. Can you wear clothes? Well, don't look now if I haven't any on. <laughs> Please, now, will you answer my questions and try not to be cute? Oh, pardon me. Far away. Do you dance? Very well. No prizes. Have you any uh, romantic obligations? Uh, no, no. Well, I'll give you a try. The starting salary is $50 a week. Thanks, but what can I possibly do around here that's worth $50 a week? You'll be my private secretary. Secret- secretary? I don't know anything about typing or dictation or... Oh, we have plenty of girls in the office who are expert at all those things. Your duties will be more personal. Oh. Oh! (laughs) Well, uh, what do you say? Uh, no. No, no. What? No. Miss McGregor, I've admitted I'm here because I need the money. But if what I'm thinking is right, I'd rather go out and dig a good deep ditch. Mr. Vernick! Oh, you're sweet. In fact, you're positively precious. But believe me, I won't harm you. Well, I, I just wanted to be sure. Now, before you start, I'd like to have my little say. My last four secretaries went out of here on their ears oh, because me. their unusual duties gave them illusions of irresistible masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Do you follow me, or are you ahead of me again? Oh, I'm sorry. Now, good. Now, you go to DeJay's the Tailors right away and get yourself a full-dress suit. Here's the address. Tails? Tails. Everything. Tell them it's a rush job and to charge it to my account. We're going out tonight. It, now, you'd oh, better but, hurry. Uh, Go on. Go on. You may have to have alterations. Well, uh, uh, all right. Well, wh- where will I meet you? Uh, just give me your address. I'll pick you up at your place at 7. Well? Just wanted you to know you needn't bring me a corsage. <laughs> just, just bring me a white gardenia. That won't clash with my tie. <laughs> Goodbye. You'll be ready there at 7. I don't want to wait. <laughs> Well, at least you're prompt. That's something. Here's your gardenia. Oh, 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 no, Miss McGregor, you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble for unimportant little me. It's worth it. You look lovely. Get in. Well, this must seem a bit unusual to you, Vernie. It does. It is. A woman in business faces many problems, and the greatest problem she faces is men. Oh, I sell advertising to men. The fact that I'm a woman helps, but it also brings complications. Naturally. That's where you come in. Tonight you're saving a big advertising account for me by reassuring a jealous wife. Oh, I'm reassuring a jealous wife? We're dining with Mr. and Mrs. French. Mr. Mm -hmm. French is advertising manager of Castle Soups. And you're trying to get the account. And I will get the account if Mrs. French will stop being suspicious of the time her husband spends with me. And the simplest way of reassuring her is to introduce her to my fiancé. Oh, is he going to be there, too? He's you. Uh, oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. There's nothing now underhanded about this. No, Mrs. No. French's suspicions are unfounded, and they should be corrected. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, all I'm supposed to do is act like you belong to me. Yes, mm. of course you love me. But you're confident. Naturally. It isn't every boy has a girl bringing him gardenias. 
Now stop it and don't be coy. Give Mrs. French plenty of flattery and attention, and I'll get the account from Mr. French. Oh, what's the matter? Uh, well, I don't feel honest. I don't even feel like a man. Ah, good evening, Miss McGregor. Have my guests arrived? Mr. and Mrs. French. Yes, they're seated at your table. This way, please. Hello. Miss McGregor, this is Mrs. French. How do you do? How do you do? May I present my fiancé, Mr. Verney? Mrs. French? How do you do? Oh, oh did you say your fiancé? Wow, charming. <laughs> I hoped you'd like him. He's mad about dancing. Aren't you, dear? Oh, certainly. They used to call me Twinkle Toes. <laughs> Would you care to dance, Mrs. French? <laughs> oh, well, if, if Miss McGregor doesn't object. Oh, not at all. Mr. French and I can talk business while we're waiting. Oh, oh you danced divinely, Mr. Verney. Yeah, well, that's because you're so light on my feet. Oh. Oh, oh, hi, I am sorry. Oh, don't apologize. It's a living. <laughs> uh, uh, you have a very lovely fiancé, Mr. Verney. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Max, quite a girl. Don't you ever worry about her? I mean, spending so many evenings in business conferences with men, uh, like my husband. Oh, go on. What is there to worry about? Max loves me, and I trust her completely. Especially with this finer wolf, I mean a man, is your husband. Hey, uh, incidentally, Mr. French is a very lucky man. Oh, really, Mr. Bernie? How do you mean? Well, imagine the trouble he'd have if a woman like you, in the, in the full bloom of maturity, should suddenly decide to spread her wings. Spread my wings? Oh, I'm Mr. Bernie. Oh, well, what a thought. <laughs> Isn't it, huh? <laughs> makes me vibrate. Yeah, well, you're probably just warming up for the takeoff. <laughs> oh, Mr. Verner, you say the quaintest thing. <laughs> oh, well. You're a great inspiration, Mrs. French. I hope Mr. French appreciates you. Oh, I don't think he does. No, I didn't think he would. <laughs> but then, what man could, really? Good morning. Good morning, Miss McGregor. Oh, good morning, Jeanette. Has Mr. Atwater come in yet? Yes, Miss McGregor. Oh, well, good. If anyone wants me, I'll be in Mr. Atwater's office. Well, how's the other half of Atwater and McGregor? Terrible, Mank. It's terrible. Well, cheer up. I'll have French's name on the contract before the day's over. I suppose I should be very happy. Oh, that new secretary of mine is a pip. Mrs. French not only isn't jealous of her husband anymore, she's wondering how she can get rid of him. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Say, am I boring you? We've just added a brand new million-dollar account to our books. Well, well, really, a whole million, well... Oh, I'm sorry, Mac, really I am, but last night I met a man who, in ten minutes, taught me to hate the world and him and myself. He sounds like a bad hangover. Who is he? Jonathan Caldwell, Jr., president of the Caldwell Tobacco Company, and I hope the Reader's Digest tests his cigarettes. <laughs> Boy, last year that was a $5 million account. Yes, and this year it may be even more. Well, forget him. He's not our headache. Justin and Smith have that account tied up for life. 
that's what they think. It just so happens that Mr. Caldwell and his sister, who owns the whole company, are in town now for the sole purpose of changing advertising agencies. Well, what are we waiting for? Where is he? What hotel? It's no use, Mac. I told you I talked to him last night. Well, I haven't. You not only haven't, you won't. Why not? Well, right now, Mr. Caldwell is paying alimony to four ex-wives, and it's gone to his brain, if he ever had one. At any rate, he not only hates his four ex-wives, he hates all women. Even his sister? No, he just despises her. Well, if four women have managed to talk him into matrimony, I should at least be able to talk him into a contract. Now, Mac, you're a more capable woman than I am. Oh, thanks. And I am a man. I wish you'd learn to let me finish a sentence. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. There isn't the slightest chance that you or any other woman could sell anything to Caldwell. Why, he hasn't had lipstick on his handkerchief in over a year. Well, not that I have, I mean. Where are you going? Oh, where am I going? To study the tobacco business in general, and the Caldwell Company in particular. I'll be up at my cabin. You going alone? No, I'm taking my new secretary, Vernon. I'm convinced now. There ain't no Santa Claus. What's bothering you, Bernie? What, a secretary on a weekend with a boss and both of us reading? Yeah, yeah. Here are seven years of Caldwell's life in newspaper clippings. Seven years and four wives. I know. Seven years with the wrong woman. (laughs) Now he hates every woman he meets. Yeah, and according to the papers, he meets them all. Anyway, I volunteered to get this man-woman-hater's signature on an advertising contract. You'll get it. Why? Why? You're different, that's why. And the minute he finds out you're different, he's hooked. Thanks, but it won't be that simple. Oh, yes, it will. It wouldn't be for most women, but for you, it'll be a cinch. A woman without emotion can plan like a general in battle. Oh, I see. Bernie, tell me, why do you work at a job you don't like? Well, have you ever been to Mexico? What brought that on? Yeah, things down there yelling to be put on canvas, and I think I'm the guy to do it. Oh? How long have you been painting? Ever since I was a kid. Trouble is, I paint what I like. Nine times out of ten, that means no money. Are you good? Oh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Anyway, that's why I took this job. As soon as I save enough to buy a jalopy and a trailer, I'm going back to Mexico to paint my head off. Live by the sun. I've dreamt those dreams. They never come true. Well, they will for me someday. Well, I'll tell you something silly. I write poetry. Well, go ahead and laugh. Why? All of us are poets. Some of us can put it in words, and some just get a a feeling. I like you, Vernie. Well, thanks. Never fall in love with me, will you? I'd hate to fire you, and I would if you fell in love with me. Don't worry. Well, why do you say it like that? (laughs) And I couldn't fall in love with you if I wanted to, and I don't want to. Why not? Because you're a beautiful brain in beautiful clothes. No temperature, no pulse, that's all. I'm a brain with no pulse, eh? I'm a woman, Bernie, more woman than you've ever known. If ever I fall in love, it'll be the sea dashing against rocks and lightning flashing across the sky and thunder rolling through mountains. I believe you mean it. It's true. Bernie, what are you going to do? Find out for myself. (laughs) Come here. Come on. Oh. 
the second act of Take a Letter, Darling, starring Rosalind Russell as McGregor, Cary Grant as Tom Burney, and Edward Everett Horton as Atwater. It's several days after Tom Burney kissed his boss. Instead of firing him, she entrusted him with the important job of landing the Caldwell Tobacco Company's advertising account. Right at this minute, however, she is pacing the floor in her partner's office. You know, Atwater, when I think of Tom Verney lolling around Raleigh, North Carolina, romancing Ethel Caldwell with our money, I could kill him. Now, 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 calm yourself, Mac, calm yourself. After all, this was your idea. It was not. It was indeed. You insisted on trying to land the Caldwell Tobacco Company's account, now, didn't you? That has nothing to do with the case. It has everything to do with the case. I warned you to stay away from Jonathan Caldwell in the first place. Well, I didn't have any trouble landing Jonathan. Well, perhaps not. But at any rate, when you learned that his sister Ethel controlled the advertising account, you all but screamed for help. I didn't scream. And it was your idea that Bernie fly down to Raleigh with Ethel and sell her that campaign that you had created. Well, it wasn't my idea that he spend his time making love to her. Well, then give the man credit for some initiative. Listen to this newspaper story. Just listen to this. Constant companions at Southern Play Spots are Ethel Caldwell of the fabulously wealthy tobacco company and Thomas Bernie, New York advertising executive. Their whirlwind romance is the talk of Southern society. Well, I think that's wonderful. It sounds as though we're practically certain of getting the Caldwell account. Well, if we have to get it that way, I don't want the account. Oh. Oh, so that's the way the wind blows, McGregor. You're in love with Bernie. I am not. And why are you worrying about his newspaper romance with Ethel Caldwell? Well, I... I'm, I'm just tired of his ignoring my instructions. <laughs> I see. No, you don't. He hasn't answered a wire in two weeks. Well, I might point out that you haven't answered one of Jonathan Caldwell's phone calls in two weeks either. That's different. Naturally. My wires to Tom were about business. Caldwell's trying to give me a romantic sales talk. No. Yes. You mean that that four times loser wants a fifth wife? That seems to be the idea. Oh. Oh, and I suppose that after Bernie marries Ethel Caldwell and you marry Jonathan, I won't be even a junior partner in this organization. Now, don't worry about that. I'm not marrying Jonathan, and Vernie isn't going to marry Ethel. Just how do you propose to stop him? I'm going down to Raleigh and straighten Mr. Vernie out myself. <laughs> and then I'm going to fire him. <laughs> Hello? Yes. Yes, she is. She's here, yes. It's for you, Max. Oh, well. Tell him I'm out. I can't. I told him you were here. Oh, all right. Hello? We're going to meet you right away, McGregor. No place. I'm taking the next train for Raleigh. Oh, that's perfect. I'll go with you. And forget about a hotel reservation because you'll stay with us at Caldwell Aiken. Your man Bernie's there with my sister Ethel. Well, thank you very much. Now, what was on your mind? Well, I'll tell you about that when I get you on my home grounds with Magnolias and Moonlight to help me. I'll take a chance on anything, even becoming Mrs. Caldwell number five. If I can get down to Raleigh and get my hands on Tom Verney. Say, are you in love with Verney? What? Of course not. I hate him. Why? Oh, nothing. But I'm warning you. I want you myself. And I'm going to do everything I can to make you continue to hate Verney. Hello, Caldwell. Glad to see you. Hello, Bernie. I'm sorry Ethel and I were out riding when you and Mac arrived at Caldwell Acres. Yeah, it's just as well. I was anxious to talk to you before McGregor did anyway. Hey, uh, by the way, where is Mac? Up in her room, pouting. Coming down the train, I found out that she's really jealous of you and my charming sister. Oh, yeah? Well, it's about time. Ethel and I have been working hard enough at trying to make her jealous. Well, you've succeeded. The self-sufficient McGregor is just about ready to fall in your arms if. What do you mean, if? If you don't weaken it isn't enough just to make McGregor jealous. No? Well, what would you suggest? 
Go on, you've had four wives. You should have learned something about a woman. Well, now that you know Max Jealous, don't let up. Oh, oh, really pour it on her, huh? Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> I get it. Make her think I'm really in love with Ethel, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Announce your engagement. Make yourself obnoxious. <laughs> Wait, you think I could? <laughs> Without half trying. <laughs> Can you imagine her trying to hold out against me? With you coaching me? <laughs> I don't know why you should spend so much time worrying about Bernie McGregor. He's enjoying himself somewhere with Ethel. I'm not worrying about Bernie. I'm worrying about the Caldwell Tobacco Company's advertising account. Well, you certainly don't need to worry about that. Why not? Well, when Bernie marries Ethel, he'll control the account. When Bernie... Bernie marries Ethel? Who said he was going to marry her? Why, Bernie told me so himself. When? Oh, this afternoon when you were up in your room resting. He said he hoped you wouldn't be jealous enough to do anything foolish, but uh, he had to look out for himself. Bernie said that? Those were his exact words. Why, that egomaniac. Why should I be jealous of him? Why should I care what he does? That's exactly what I told him, Mac. Bernie doesn't mean anything to me. He was just my stooge. And not a very good stooge at that. I hope I never see him again. I'll tell him so, too. Oh, he'll just laugh and tell you not to be jealous. Jealous? Me jealous of Tom Bernie. I'll prove to him that I'm not jealous. That's a great idea if you can do it. I can do it. You asked me to marry you, didn't you, Caldwell? Is the proposal still in effect? It most certainly is. Then I accept your proposal. That ought to prove to Mr. Bernie that I'm not jealous of him. Good night. I've got something important to talk over with you. Well, I don't have anything to discuss with you. Oh, yes, you do. Colbert just told me you'd agree to marry him. Well, why shouldn't I? Well, being jealous of me couldn't have driven you that far. Jealous of you? You think the fact that you are marrying Ethel Colbert could have the slightest influence on my accepting Jonathan's proposal? I'm not marrying Ethel. You are, too. I am not. You sent me down here on business, and I've done everything you asked me to do. I didn't ask you to marry Ethel. Neither did Ethel. <laughs> Ethel's only interest in me was in getting a good advertising campaign Well, you got it for her Your pictures have been in every gossip column in the country They have not Jimmy Fiddler's mad at me <laughs> Anyway, I'm talking business Tonight, Ethel okayed the campaign layouts and signed the contracts Here it is Thanks now, I've just earned that $10,000 bonus you promised me for landing this deal And I'm quitting Effective as of right now Quitting? Where are you going? To Mexico, if you must know, in a trailer. But you can't leave me now. Can't I? Well, don't let my dust get in your eyes. Are you going alone? Certainly I'm going alone. Oh. And just to show you how stupid a man can be, I'll tell you something. I honestly believed once that you'd be making this trip with me. Me painting. And you writing your poetry. Did you mean that? Yeah. It was so real that you stubbed your toe while I was taking you through the Aztec ruins. <laughs> I did? Yes. I was a fine chump. You couldn't even love Caldwell. <laughs> of course I don't love Caldwell. Oh, you don't love anything but yourself and money. Well, you're going to have more money than you ever dreamed of, Mrs. Caldwell V. You planned your life with nice, cold-blooded perfection and accomplished everything you set out to do. You're a fine money-grubbing machine. So that's all you think of that's me? That's all I think of you. 
As I told you once before, you're a beautiful brain in beautiful clothes. No temperature, no pulse, and that's all. Is that so? Yeah. Well, as long as we're reminiscing, I gave you the answer to that once before, oh, too. Sure. I told you then I'm more woman than you've ever known. Oh. It's true. If I weren't, I wouldn't have lost my head and told Caldwell I marry him just to spite you. What? I told you that love could only happen to me once. And you, you were that one. I've always known that if I ever fell in love, it, it would be the sea dashing against rocks. Lightning flashing across the sky and thunder rolling through the mountain. Well? Huh? That's your cue. Come on, Tom. Turn on the thunder and lightning. Rosalind Russell, Perry Grant, Edward Everett Horton, and Paul Stewart for your superb performances in tonight's play. Miss Russell, we enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Mr. Bradley. It was our fun. We'd like to express our thanks to Paramount Pictures, too, for permitting us to present our radio version of Take a Letter, Darling, adapted by Bill Hampton. Cary Grant has something exciting to tell you about next week's show. Ladies and gentlemen, Cary Grant. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players have a great dramatic treat for you. The tender and moving story of a lovable English schoolteacher. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. You will hear Mr. Basil Rathbone as Mr. Chips and Miss Merle Oberon as Mrs. Chips. I know you'll find it grand entertainment. Thank you and good night. Next week, then, Merle Oberon and Basil Rathbone will appear in Metro Golden Mayor's Goodbye, Mr. Chips. The Screen Guild players are presented by Lady Esther from Hollywood. This is Truman Bradley saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me tomorrow night for Sam Spade, followed by The Lone Ranger. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.